I'm so happy you're back. Or maybe this is your first time checking out the show, but Aaron's back. Anyway, he has returned to talk about the 1994 album Purple from the band Stone Temple Pilots. We haven't seen him since episode two, so I was excited to get him back on. And it's always a pleasure to see him, and it's always a pleasure to see you. I don't know. I can't see you. I'm just lying. I'm lying to you right now. I can't see you. But I do appreciate you listening. Stone Temple Pilots were one of those bands that you could not exist in the 1990s without hearing them. They were huge for a few years. And well-remembered now, one of the true rock bands of the era. And Aaron is a big fan of the album Purple, as many people are. So here we are talking about it together. Thanks for joining us. this maybe i did what so the last time we did this my audio wasn't great and i couldn't figure out why it was the most insane glitchy peaking nonsense and i couldn't figure out i was like three weeks trying to figure this shit out and it was turns out the new computer i got the default settings default doesn't mean none default means whatever they fuck they put on it there's one button i found deep somewhere that had like a audio enhancement button okay that just messed up everything i finally found it one click and everything was perfect <laughs> That's the same mic you used last time? Yeah. There's just the difference of pushing a button. You do sound better. Insane. I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things I've ever done with my life. Remember, like, the CD Discman that would have, like, the bass boost on them? Like, when are you not going to press the bass boost? When don't you want the microphone to have the best possible recording quality? Like, it's so dumb. Assholes buy things, too. So, you know, have something. <laughs> assholes make things. <laughs> But you're always with me I feel I'm sinking But you won't let me drown me I wanna fuck, I wanna fuck Do you need me? Alright, man, you wanna get into it? Let's get into it Alright, oh I mean, yeah, I, I forgot about this part Cause I start the episodes asking people Like how we know each other But we already did that Right Here, I'll ask you a different question Rather than how we know each other Since we've been over that What'd you have for breakfast this morning? I haven't had any breakfast what? I work afternoons into the evening So I woke up at about uh, 11.30 today and uh, I'm not a breakfast kind of guy, so I probably won't eat until like 2 p.m. Madness. So you got up and immediately started doing this podcast with me pretty much. Kind of, yeah. I went and I was like, oh, I got to get this stuff ready. So I started getting it ready. Speaking of eating, I heard Christian was the last episode I heard. Uh-huh. I remember it was last year, almost this time in April, I believe. It was you, I, Christian, and my brother. We all got together. We watched a little movie, had a little lunch at a Mexican restaurant. It was a good day. And talked real loud for everybody else to hear. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that everybody talked at the same volume necessarily, <laughs> but we got together and saw, um, God, I always forget the name of this movie. No matter how much I love Nick Cage, it's just too fucking long of a title. 
the unbearable what lightness of being. Yeah, something like that. Something extremely loud, incredibly close. Something. <laughs> no, no, moonstruck. <laughs> English moonstruck. The Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Uh, that, whatever that Nicolas Cage movie is where he plays himself. Uh, I can never remember the name of it. But uh, yeah, that was a good day, man. I haven't seen your brother since either. I haven't either. So tell me, how did you get into Stone Temple Pilots? How did you get into this album? Do you remember? Yes. Unlike the last episode where I couldn't remember, it was just all a smashing blur. Yeah. I totally remember this. I remember Sex Type Thing came on. Right. The video, I saw the video and I was like, they're in a basement and all sweaty. And I was like, this is awesome. This is like rock and roll. Like, but they got pushed into that whole grunge thing again. Like, right? They're just grunge or alternative or something. Very much. They were just straight up a fucking rock band. Yeah. So I dug on Core a whole lot. Just an amazing album. Me and Corey both really dug that album. I had a Core shirt that my mother hated. Because uh, I think it had a, a nudity on it or something. A nudity. Ooh. And then when Purple came out, I think I was driving already. Mm-hmm. Corey will have to check my memory, but I believe we're like, oh shit, Purple's out. We got to go get it. So me and Corey jumped in the van again mm-hmm. and headed down to that tape store in Brighton. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. You? Discs and tapes or cannibals? Probably cannibals. Cannibals in downtown Brighton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was cannibals. That place was fucking great. Oh yeah, that's right. They had everything. Yeah, and not too far from that. Was the Christian record store? Well, it's Livingston County. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so we go, we get the purple, and we put it in, and we're like, it was just mind blown. I don't remember. If there was a single first that we heard, but it certainly wasn't Meat Plow. I think Vaseline was the first single. I feel like might have been. So spring summer '94, because I feel like I remember like my first job or one of my first jobs at Food Town. I remember like hearing Vaseline some point around there i think right. yeah you know, like listening to it while i was at work or something so i do remember that being one of the first singles i definitely had core like you but i remember like when this album came out either my dad or my stepmom had actually got me like a stone temple pilots poster so like i had the poster in my room nice but i never got this album no yeah. i was a little over it after core i guess i don't know and i liked the stuff from this album but like i always had like there was a lot of singles and those they were played a lot you know what I mean? I just never end up really buying it. So I didn't listen to it that much in my life, actually. As big as a Smashing Pumpkins fan I am, I was just as big an STP fan, even through the 90s into the 2000s, up until, you know, Scott Weiland had all the drug problems. Mm-hmm. They let him go. They formed that other band that was just okay. Scott Weiland came back. They made that final record in like 2008 together, something like that. Even that was good. They have five albums? So they did Core, Purple, Tiny Music, yeah. number four, Shangri-La-Di-Da, Broke Up, Came back with Stone Temple Pilots, the self-titled thing in uh-huh. 2010. So they had six albums? Yeah. Was, okay. And then they, well, they have more after that. They did Perdidia, which was like a couple years ago. Yeah, obviously without Scott Weiland. It's a guy that sounds just like him. So some of the songs are still pretty cool. But there's something about those Delano brothers yeah. and Scott Weiland. When they get together, man, it's rock magic. So I've been mispronouncing it my whole life. I've been saying Weiland this whole time. It's Weiland. I guess that's just the way I've always been saying it. I don't know. I never even thought about it until you said it just now. I'm like, oh, I've been saying Waylon my whole life. I heard Tabitha Soren say it on MTV News. That would do it. The MTV News song was Loungefly. Yeah. The third track. Yeah, that's right. Last time we just kind of went off the cuff, and this time I kind of took some notes about each song, just a little blurb. Mm-hmm. This album is 
all the way through, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Like, every song okay. is really good. There's just some really interesting things, even the simple things like Vaseline the music. The thing that drives that song is so good. It's such a simple guitar. It was one of the first licks I learned as a kid because it was like two notes. Eric Kretz behind the drum kits, what he's doing in that song mm-hmm. is just nuts. It's just like it's a syncopated beat. He's hitting something on every like 16th note. Like it's nuts. He's using a bunch of toms or bongos or something. Mm-hmm. When you're listening to the music, you're just kind of grooving along. But that's what makes that song stay interesting, right? The good lyrics, but the guitar part is just so simple. I mean, but those drums, this is just nuts. The guitar tone is also really really nice because it's such a basic riff but the tone is fucking fire right so it makes sense for it to be a big single but of course the big single from this album is interstate love song that comes on i'm like transported to the 1990s if i was making like a list of the top songs of the 90s i would probably be on yes and i thought about this and it was this album's plush yep and more ways than one because the song is structured a lot alike plush the descending guitar chords Mm -hmm. over the verses a lot alike I mean, I really thought this was like the plush of that album. Different vibe. I, I kind of took Big Empty to be the plush in terms of like the vibe of it, or maybe even Kitchenware. Oh, was it Kitchenware and Candy Bars? Yeah, Kitchenware Candy Bars is awesome. So what's your favorite song on the album? Uh, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to go throw bottles at a train? Did we just break up with our girlfriend? <laughs> uh, it depends on what mood you're in. Okay, you just woke up. You've been awake for about 40 minutes, and you're in your own bed uh-huh. talking to a friend of yours on your laptop. That's the mood you're in. What's your favorite song on this album? Mm, Superman, Silver Gun. This is back when they made albums. They made an A-side and a B-side, right? Right. So you got your opener, Meat Plow, and then it closes off with, what, Pretty Penny on the A-side? Yeah. And then Superman opens up the B-side. Awesome. It's just such a heavy riff and, like, it's just just a great groove. It's a fun song. Mm -hmm. Like I said, let's go throw bottles at a train. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. It's (laughs) such, like, a bossy kind of, like, swaggering, strutting kind of song. 
I read a little bit about this era of Stone Temple Pilots, a spin article that was like a cover article from 1994. And I learned from that that they were like an LA band, you know, one of thousands of LA bands, and some A&R rep heard them and thought that Scott Whalen sounded like, you know, Eddie Vedder pretty much, and was like, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll sign you. So they had been together for like less than a year, and then they recorded Core, and then, you know, less than two years after that, they were recording this. They're like these huge stars, like just enormous stars, and everyone's wanted to put them in this box of like your grunge. And this album is clearly like, no, we're fucking not. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. But like when I was a kid, you just, all right, this is grunge or whatever, except for like when it's not, you're like, it's obviously it's not. Yeah. Like this is like, you listen to this, it's a fucking rock and roll album. I don't know what else to do. It's like down, dirty, blues, fucking jazzy. Yeah. You know, yeah, riffs. Just and rock and roll, rock and nonsense roll. lyrics that you can interpret any way you want to, but some are really good. It's sexy and it's confident. Yeah. And it's crisp. It's a lot of things that whatever the fuck grunge is, this is not that. Scott Williams dance around like he's fucking Mick Jagger. Oh, like, yeah. Grunge guys don't do that shit. No. Shaking his The Delano ass. brothers are always just fucking happy playing riffs, just getting down and rocking. Yeah. They weren't fucking grunge, man. No, no. By Rock no, and roll. By no means. Sex type thing was as close as it got to grunge. So that's why it was the first single from Core, maybe. But that was like, they were still figuring out their sound, I think. And this album, I feel like they knew who they were as a band at this point. Hell yeah. Everything's so good. I think, okay, so the song Army Ants, mm -hmm. that's like, if you had to play a song for someone to describe the entire album, it would be that song. that song goes through i mean it hits every note of every song on that album and the drums this is so crazy the drums you know he starts off real syncopated and then he goes into that groove be this way that groove is awesome especially after coming out of that super syncopated beat but here's a weird thing bring us back to the smashing pumpkins episode that same groove and you can compare them but that same groove at almost the same time is used in the song Bodies by Smashing Pumpkins off of Melancholy Infinite Sadness. Oh. And both those songs just drive so hard that's a bum, 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 bum. You know, almost like the Led Zeppelin kind of feel like. Big time. I got a lot of Led Zeppelin vibes from this album. Yeah. Like I said, like it's a rock and roll album. And The Doors. It feels like they're listening to a lot of The Doors and David Bowie and, and Zeppelin, it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I can't remember the guy's first names. The Delano brother that plays guitar. I think it was Robert. Yes. Was it Robert? What's the other one's name? Uh, Robert and uh, Seth. Ben. Michael. <laughs> Dave. Chuck. Bill. Larry. Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking it up. Uh, <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> uh, Robert DeLeo and Dean DeLeo. That's who we're... Robert was on bass. Dean is on guitar. Dean. Anyway, so uh, what was I saying?
oh right his guitar writing and he's another big influence on me to how to play guitar mm-hmm. and his style and like Billy Corgan style the other guy I talked about that was really a big influence on me mm-hmm. like so different but like at the same time a lot the same because they took a lot of the same theory I guess played it different ways mm. uh, a lot of the same chord shapes used different ways Delano was more he used all kinds of sevenths ninths suspended chords you know just crazy stuff where you got to put your pinky seven frets down somewhere yeah Billy Corgan didn't do that so I think that helped me play guitar a little bit maybe uh rhythmically better because i don't even have big hands either so it was hard to play a lot of those chords so yeah. it made me a better guitar player like trying to learn how to play some of that stuff i could see him being a big influence on a lot of guitarists as a kid i was really fixated on scott wayland and his voice because that's kind of how i've always been because i was always singing in bands and stuff that was always like what i paid most attention to but listening to this album you know the last few weeks i've been like I could kind of see how they could replace Wayland a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like a completely inimitable voice, but I feel like what Dean DeLeo is, or Dean DeLeo, or Dean DeLeo, I don't know. De- Dean DeLeo. Delano. Delano? No, wait. I feel like what Dean is doing, I don't know that anyone else could quite do it like he does. If he wasn't in the band, I feel like it would be a drastically different band. Like it would not even remotely be the same band, whereas I can see them moving forward without Scott Wayland. Yeah, for sure. The thing that I appreciate about Scott Wayland was, it's not always a narrative. It's just sometimes that words, and I've heard other people say this too, like words that just sound good, yeah. strung together, sounds that sound good that are words that sound good in the music. And the guys that can find that, that's something special. Uh, this is uh, Chino Marino. He used to go in Deftones. He would go in the studio and just like uh, hum and haul in a microphone right. and then just like kind of shape it shape sounds with his yeah. and then they return into some kind of word i know greg dooley does that and so does eddie vetter just kind of like just lay down scratch tracks of just gibberish and then go back and yeah. fill in the words later which makes a lot of sense to me yeah it does i appreciated him doing that because like some of his it's just nonsense mm-hmm. a lot of his lyrics are nonsense so convoluted it's insane but they feel like they mean something <laughs> a lot of times yeah you know I mean? well, that's the thing it feels like it but like like still remains uh-huh. still remains was like one of the most romantic songs i had ever heard right? okay like i was like this is fucking something like the so first time it was like shockingly like romantic for me like like you said it's gonna take a bath and drink the water that you leave <laughs> this guy's all in man i don't know if that's uh romantic so much as it's like belle delphine or whatever but like only fans kind of shit but <laughs> another line's like if you die before me ask if you can bring a friend those kind of things no yeah that's a good line yeah so that was another great one i don't know this is a 10 out of 10 album for me so like i have nothing bad to say about that's any good. of the songs do you have any songs you think are underrated either by you or by fans underappreciated by me would be the kitchen the closer it's fucking great It's ama- It's like one of the best closers every time I think about it, but I never think about it until I get to the end of the album. Yeah. So I'm like, I finally listen to it like, oh shit, that's great. It's so emotional. It's really good. And it's hard to say Big Empty is, you know what they did? I believe, I believe this is the right story. They made it for a Crow soundtrack. That sounds familiar to me. And then it got so hot as a single for Crow soundtrack. They're like, fuck, you got to put this on the album. And they didn't want to put it out, but you know, it's one of those things. Like yeah. the Lemonheads got forced to put that Mrs. Robinson cover on the album. Worst song on the album. I mean, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no lie. I mean, I listen to this album a lot. And I, well, usually I got my mix of STP. I listen to it a lot. Since we decided to do it, I've listened to this album 12 times all the way through. What I wanted. 
and I uh, didn't get sick of one song. I was like, oh, this is cool. Even hit rewind a couple times and listen to things again. Well, that's why I was l- really listening to the music this time mm-hmm. to really get in there. And like, what I really took away from it, like, it was the drumming on this album. It's freaking amazing. It's so good. And you think you're grooving. Like, he's so good at like doing that syncopated groove. You mm-hmm. don't even realize that it's not a groove, <laughs> but it feels like it is because of the way he's playing it. Like I said, that shines really on Vaseline. Mm-hmm. And then on that lounge fly, mm-hmm. when it comes in the course, on the left channel, there's this big, huge, like, broken snare sound or something, just hard on the left-hand side, but the regular snare is just in the right channel the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that was wild, and I was like, that's nuts. And he's doing a bunch of those toms or bongos, and Interstate Love Song, that hook. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And then I said the descending guitar chords. Pretty Penny was a great A-side closer, I suppose, right? It kind of slows things down. I mean, that's a great separation. People think like that still, like uh, side A, side B. I mean, they don't, right? Like, why would you? Like, but you could make it still do like acts or sections of your album, right? Yeah. I still think like that. Especially if you're listening to vinyl, but I mean, it's pretty rare that you get the opportunity to get that mid-album quote-unquote closer. But as far as the actual closer goes, kitchen, what's it called again? Kitchen? Like kitchen and... Kitchenware and candy bars. Or something. Kitchenware and candy bars. Yeah, that's it. So listening to that song over the last few weeks, I've been like... It's been frustrating me actually a little bit because it made me think of, you know, again, like this wasn't an album I was super into, but I can think of so many albums like where the hidden track was at the end of the last song and there was no division between they're like on the same track and so no matter how yeah. much you love that song you could never like put it on a mixed cd that you're making right because you'd have like three minutes of dead air between shit and like oh no why'd you gotta put the hidden track on this song because that's a great song kitchenware and blah blah, blah. oh yeah it is ripping cds i figured out how to manipulate tracks a little bit oh you can manipulate so tracks like, cut off the end and shit <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. helped. But until that came, really it was did. like, well, sorry, this isn't going on this mix. <laughs> or nothing's worse than you forgetting that it's there. And you're like, what? You're listening to something else and it's just dead air. Like, what the? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. No. So no least good song on this album for you then? No, no. They're all home runs. Every single one of them. This is... Even the hidden track. Well, no. I didn't. I, I never considered <laughs> nah, that an no. fucking song. Yeah, you can't. It's really a count. goop. It's like the All By Myself yeah. of uh, Dookie. <laughs> yeah, it's no, you a can't dumb count. song. It's just fucking around time. It's hilarious. I mean, it's really funny. It's the second album. Maybe it's just like to wake you up from the fever dream you just experienced from their amazing album. <laughs> right on. So, do you have any memories attached to this album that are like super specific for you? Yeah, uh, last time I think I talked about more like in the band about my memories, but like this one, I'll talk about Roger's Wreck and I talk about hanging out with my brother, yeah. cruising around. I'm a couple years older, so I was driving first, so he was able to cruise along with me younger. And this is so crazy, but we had like three tapes that were always played in the Whirly Mobile. Yeah. It was SDP's Purple, and we had Smashing Pumpkins' Gish. Uh huh. Actually, it was four because there was an outlier. And then there was Raging Against the Machine. Okay. Those are the top three that were always in there. Uh-huh. The outlier was Ringmaster by ICP. <laughs> okay. That would get thrown in there every once in a it while. It was an outlier. Bang. Uh, what was it? It was a, a Mark Six. Was that what the car was? The Lincoln Mark Eight. Is that the Whirly Mobile? Dad's Lincoln. No, no, no. The van again. The, the Volkswagen van, the brown one. Two-tone brown. Minivan? A regular van. It's a van again. You keep saying this word like I know what it means. 
<laughs> okay. And what's the German? It's the only one. It's the hippie mobile, you know? Oh, like a... The hippie van? Yeah, the Volkswagen van. Yeah, oh. that's it. Oh, that's a Vanagon? That's a Vanagon. <laughs> you also need to explain to the people what Roger's rack is, because if you don't know what it is, it sounds disturbing. <laughs> Roger's rack. We had this little... Uh, Outside of the neighborhood, between the neighborhood and the high school, which was only a few hundred yards apart, there was a little uh, plaza, mm-hmm. right? Various things came and went. You could do a whole podcast about that freaking video store there. Honestly. And uh, Movie land. There was a couple other stores, and eventually Roger's Rat came, and it was a little pool hall, right? Little pool hall, arcade. Yep, yep. little pool hall, arcade, directly across from the high school. Perfect place to put it. Yeah, it was great. Right outside the neighborhood. It was as close to your house as it was the high school, I'd imagine. Almost. I mean, it was pretty close. I definitely spent some time there. Like a quarter mile, maybe. Eat that. Yeah. So we would go in there and just pump quarters into the jukebox Mm -hmm. and blast these awesome openers that were coming out of the time. Meat plow. I got a brother, man. You know, all that. We'd sing together and have a great time and everybody. If they weren't our friends, we knew everybody in there. That was the way that that place worked. Like, even if you didn't know them well, you went to high school with them or saw them in the rack from time to time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Became norms later. Remember norms by the end of high school. Did it? I don't, I didn't remember. Was that after I'd already graduated, I suppose? I guess so. It started off as Roger's rack and then norm took it over and it was just norms, which is a less appealing name. Oh yeah. We probably got out because in 96, my dad moved the family up to, Fenton. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad news. But we moved a lot. It was dumb. Yeah. I was in a band with your brother at the time. So it, it greatly affected things. <laughs> yeah. And then didn't he get grounded for like six years? He got grounded. He, he got grounded so badly it broke up the band, Coke Bones Malone. It was like, well, I guess we're done. I don't even remember what that was about. I don't remember what he did either. I think he got drunk, but I can't remember for sure. Uh the Whirlies. Oh, repressed Christianity. Let's talk about that. We got Christian on here. We'll talk about all our religious parents. Again, Livingston County. It's not just the two of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so yeah, but that jukebox got played over and over again. I specifically remember that jukebox and like Mortal Kombat 2. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then of course, pool. Was it NARC? They had some game where it was like a shooting game. You're like yes. just shooting. I think it was NARC. And you're just like shooting tons yeah. and tons of crack addicts because they don't count as people, apparently. Just blow them away. Yeah, that's a nuts game. <laughs> a horrifying game in, in retrospect. So hilarious. It was like a parody game. You'd see somebody playing in like a Wayne's Brother movie. <laughs> yeah. It was real life. <laughs> or something out of like a Paul Verhoeven film or something. <laughs> oh, so yeah, we blast that. You know what else? We were in love with that corn album. Oh, okay. Ba-na-na. When it first came out, before that was a genre, I suppose, right? Right. I remember like it was just kind of blended in with Sunny Day and Frank Black and everything else from the era. It's like you didn't really differentiate. Like, yeah. that's new metal. It was like, this is just, it's all the same. This is just a thing. It seemed like. Cool. I remember thinking it was cool. I saw him at 89X yeah. Bash or whatever, and then the genre got established, and I stepped firmly away. <laughs> yeah. It got weird fast. Yeah. Anyways. It was nuts. Those 89 x Fests were awesome. Oh, I loved them. They were so good. That's the first time I saw Hum was at the 89 x Fest. I saw so many bands. That was great. The side bands would usually be the best. They were like, have no fucking stage. It'd just be like playing like on top of the Phoenix Plaza Amphitheater. And, you know, it'd just be like, right. I'm just standing there next to Brainiac or Unwound or whatever. It was fucking great. Man, I'd have to go back and look at some of those, the list of bands that played at those things because... Just so much stuff. Like, like only a few stand out that I really remember. Yeah. Those are my favorite bands I got to saw. Yeah, same. Never saw STP live. No. Not one time. 
Not one time. That's a shame. I know the last song that Waylon played live was Unglued, but I guess he played it. With, That's unfortunate. Yeah. I guess he must have played it with his other band, though. It wasn't with Stone Temple Pilots. I have a hard time because I don't know. I don't have any insider information. Right. So he had a bunch of handlers and he was playing these little gigs. He was singing and he was barely hanging on, man. I mean, he was gone. Most likely, probably from drugs. You know, he was just like blown out. Yeah, like, uh, like and he'd have a guy come pushing back in front of the microphone. That's how bad it was. He had these handlers. Oh, that thing. That's bad. That sucks. Well, you see it right off the bat, and you're like, "Well, that's terrible." Like all these people are just pushing this guy, like literally in front of a microphone, yeah. to like keep the train going or whatever. But like, I don't know that. Maybe he's like, comes in sober. And it's like, listen, guys, everything sucks. I'm gonna just get blown out. Whatever. If I fall, push me back in front of the microphone. I don't know if it's his choice or if it's somebody else's. Either way, it was fucking hard to watch. Pretty sad. Uh, and then it was over. And then it was uh, just over. Rock and roll star dies of an overdose on his tour bus before the age of 50. And that's, you know, it's just, it's a, just yeah. a fucking shame. It's a shame. And clearly there was a lot of tension between him and the other band members, which I'm guessing stemmed a lot from the abuse. But that's maybe just a safe presumption. Was it Velvet Revolver? That he sang with? Yeah. Well, he blew up every band he was ever in. And it was <laughs> yeah. all about drugs. Yeah. It was drugs. It was just drugs. He couldn't get off drugs. It's sad. Slash had a lot to say about him. When he passed? No, no, before he passed. He just said, like, he was just so unprofessional and you couldn't count on him for a, not a one thing, right? Yeah. He would have that kind of personality or those kind of behavioral traits. People just couldn't deal with it, like, yeah. on a professional level. But I can remember after he passed, the boys from STP, they got together and they played a track and they listened to it all together. Mm -hmm. And they said that it was the most beautiful song they have ever played and that Scott Weiland had ever written. It's Atlanta. So they sat down, and you can go watch this video on YouTube, and it's really kind of sad and fun to watch at the same time. They play the song, and they talk about it, and they talk about Scott. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. But yeah, they say that's the most beautiful song Scott Weiland ever sang, Atlanta, from number four. All right, I should uh, check that out. What song do you want to use to go out on? Let's go out on Still Remains. That's a really good song. That's a really good song. And let's get some fun lyrics. Oh, I got something for you before we go out. Hit me. We can tell the audience that, you know, we make music together as well. And we can go back to, if you enjoyed the Smashing Pumpkins episode, Travis and I do a duet together of the Smashing Pumpkins song, Luna. This is true. And it's available on SoundCloud because SoundCloud doesn't care about licensing. <laughs> so I can do all the cover songs I want. We have about 20 cover songs right now. Yeah. But it's a Sidewinder Ansible on SoundCloud. And you can listen to myself, Travis, Christian, who's been on this music podcast. He mm -hmm. does a song. Mm -hmm. Eric Brandstrom does songs. He's going to be on this podcast. Very soon. Yeah. If you like the music we like, probably going to enjoy the cover songs that and that's we do. Ansible, A-N-S-I-B-L-E, for the record. I don't know if that's a word that necessarily people are going to, you know what I mean? It's like one of those words. Right. No, it's one of those dumb science fiction words that I've just found. <laughs> Reading dumb books. Oh, Ansible. That means Ansible. And yeah, I actually <laughs> uh, recorded the vocals for a Lemonhead song. Speaking of the Lemonheads, right before we recorded this, so that'll be up there by the time this is out. So by all means, do check that out. Yeah. There's a bunch of that stuff out there. A bunch of covers that Aaron's done and originals too. 
definitely worth checking out. Is there anything else that you want to say about Snow Temple Pilots or this album before we move on to other things? Uh, well, as an older person now, I'm in my mid forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back on all the rock and roll bands I can think of, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, yeah. even Leonard Skinner, Guns and Roses, right? I think they're like once in a generation kind of bands, and I think Stone Temple Pilot falls into that category in the nineties. They were just a solid rock and roll band making rock and roll music, living a rock and roll lifestyle. It's just fucking rock and roll. I mean, just straightforward rock and roll, not a bunch of fucking sub genres and grunge and post whatever. It's just like, hey, this is fucking rock and roll swagger. Yeah, you got to respect it. Absolutely. Do you think there's any one person that makes this album or is it the, the drummer? Eric Kretz, I believe is his name. Something like He's so underrated. I think nobody ever talks about that guy. Nobody talks about that guy as like a rock and roll drummer. I've heard all the names of this band, the DeLeo brothers and Waylon. I've heard all those names. I'd never heard Eric Kretz's name until today, I don't think. I remember putting headphones on as a teenager and listening to other rock and roll albums. And like you listen to Metallica and you listen to Lars drumming. And I guess, well, if we were to make some comparisons, I really think that Jimmy Chamberlain and Eric Kretz have that style that's so, I think their brains think differently and their arms can move it in ridiculous uh-huh. ways than their feet. And like, they're just like, octopuses yeah. or something and it's so weird because i keep saying this word syncopated 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 but that's the way he plays and you don't even realize it until he hits a straight yeah. groove and he doesn't do it all and then that's what makes him such a great drummer probably the most underrated member of the band i think that if you didn't have him it'd still be good music but it wouldn't have that little je ne sais quoi which Ooh. you know i don't even know what that means it's something french <laughs> i think it means i don't know what <laughs> i think it means ansible <laughs> then i've got one last question for you well let me lead into it by asking you a question before i get to the main question which is aaron how do you feel about collectible toys into it (laughs) i mean uh i got a lot i got way too many (laughs) and my wife buys them for me all the time that's awesome i need a wife that buys me collectible toys that's a wife that knows what you love oh check this out and this is unfortunate and fortunate (laughs) right down the street they just opened a retro toy store oh my god Right down and the street huge. from you? Oh, my God. You're yeah, going to spend right all down. your paychecks. <laughs> I, no, I go in there, and it's like, now I understand maybe like all those, you know, those, those tropes and the stereotypes of people going into malls and just like. <laughs> I was never into clothes and stuff, but, you know, you give me a whole store full of fucking Star Wars and G.I. Joes. And I'm yeah. like, what do I do? I got to be here forever. Right. Well, I've got five toys that were released in the year 1994, all of which are rare collectibles. All right. I can tell you what they're worth if that matters, but in our hypothetical situation here, these are for display only. You cannot resell them. Okay. Well, okay. We'll do that. Then we'll probably maybe try a guessing game to see which one is the worth most expensive. The most. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it two ways. You tell me which one you think is worth the most and also tell me which one you would want for yourself. Sound good? Righty. All right. Sounds great. So in 1994, the Playmates company that made all of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys, they released a version of Donatello, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, as a member of the Apollo 11 crew. So he's like dressed up like an astronaut. That is a rare collectible. 1994, Hasbro released uh, the WWF toy, the 123 Kid. You remember this dude? I don't even know what what that is. (laughs) You know what WWF is? I do. Okay. So he was some professional wrestler from WWF called the one, two, three kid, which I have wow. zero recollection of. Yeah, no, I don't. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember him either, but this is a rare find apparently. 
Also in 1994, there was the video game of Aliens versus Predator. So Kenner released like a toy version of that. It's like a duo, like both the alien and the predator are in the same, what have you, like they're in the same package. Yep, so I remember that one actually. Okay. The Bandai Toy Company released many, many Godzillas that year, but in particular one that's pretty rare and worth a pretty penny apparently. And then lastly, there was for the Robocop film, I guess this must've been for Robocop three by this point, 1994, Orion released like this weird white version of Robocop where he's like, instead of like the regular silver, he's all dressed in white and he kind of looks like almost like a, like a nurse Robocop. I don't know what the, what the theme is here, but that's a pretty rare one too, apparently. Oh yeah. Sometimes they do these white things. Like then they call them like prototype or something like that. It's not like all white. It's like, Oh, it's not. It's like a variant of Robocop. It's like basically he looks the exact same except for the silver is white. Yeah, that's wild. All right. So these are your options. Donatello is Apollo 11, 123 Kid, Aliens versus Predator, Rare Godzilla Toy, or White, Extra White uh, Robocop. Okay. Godzilla. I wasn't into Godzilla toys at all. Uh, Okay. So that's out the window. Okay. 123 Kid. I don't know who that is. Out the window. Okay. Robocop, of course, I love Robocop. And mm. then Donatello, sure. Alien versus Predator handheld video game. No, so it's not the video game. It's like the toys that came out with the video game. They're just like regular action figures. Oh. They're in like a package together, so you get them both. Oh, that. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Okay. I want that. I kind of want it too. Although I, I would personally pick the Donatello myself because he was always my favorite. And this, you know, it's like a weird NASA Donatello. So I'd go with that. But which one do you think is worth the most? Well, this is a tough one. Mm. Godzilla is like uh, really popular. That's worldwide. Yeah. For sure. I don't think Ninja Turtles were worldwide by then. Definitely not Robocop. I'll go Godzilla just because it was a worldwide phenomenon back then. And probably people were all over the world driving the price of it up because, uh, too many people have nostalgia. So from what I'm seeing, this was like the first edition of many Bandai releases of the Godzilla toy. That's going on the internet for $350. Oh. At the moment, going for $1,550 is the WWF action figure of the 123 Kid. Okay. <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, listeners, call in if you remember the 123 Kid. Who the fuck? I mean, like, what? I remember Jake the Snake, Junkyard Dog. I remember lots of them. Superfly, uh, Jimmy Snuka, right? I remember a lot of these people, oh, but yeah. I, I do not remember the one, two, three kid. And I will post a picture of him, too, because he looks, I don't know, he doesn't look, he's got yeah. a very greasy mullet and big teeth. Did he wrestle Coco Beware? <laughs> Did he wrestle Andre the Giant? I can only assume. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Did he wrestle King Kong Bundy? Probably. It's the right Who era. Who is this guy? Who is this know. guy? Uh, you look him up. I mean, you will not recognize yeah, I'm gonna him. I'm going to have to. I have no recollection of this dude whatsoever in my life. That's hilarious. And I certainly watched this shit around, you know, at least the late 80s, maybe about by the 90s. I would think I was over it. That is like the greasiest mullet I've ever seen. He clearly just got out of the shower. <laughs> like Jake the Snake. He was pretty greasy. Yeah, but Jake the Snake had the snake, you know, so like you're distracted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not looking he at He was that. shiny all over. Very yeah, very glistening always. Uh. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming back on. It was fun. Yes. Super fun. Thank you. I'm a boy, Blue. Yeah, bud.
Aaron Worley. I love that guy. And he is, of course, right about how to pronounce Scott Weiland's name. He's the fan. Of course he knows. I had the good pleasure of not just talking to Aaron for this episode, but also seeing him in person last weekend. Regular listeners may have listened to episode number 14 with me and my friend Steve Guile talking about No Effects and their album Punk and Drublick. Well, Aaron is also a fan and friends with Steve, as is our buddy Jason. So Jason and his boy and Aaron and his boy and all of us, we all met in Columbus to see No Effects on their farewell tour, which was really special. Just a fucking great weekend with old friends. It was wonderful. And Aaron definitely made that happen. Speaking of making things happen, he mentioned the project Sidewinder Ansible, A-N-S-I-B-L-E. As he said, that's available on SoundCloud. I go just because I'm lazy. episode i beseech listeners to pretty please come onto my show and try and cajole them with a specific album or whatever but this time you're listening to me and aaron covering luna from the smashing pumpkins which makes sense because that was the album that he and i talked about for episode number two of this podcast so thank you for listening thank you aaron thank you stone dipple pilots um mm, yeah yeah okay bye that bye Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.